This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, it's AST 2023, Karm Capriato. This is Aftermarket Weekly, sponsored by Dorman Training. In fact, Dorman Training sponsored us to be here too. And so we're going to do an Aftermarket Weekly episode of which Dorman Training sponsors. I'm with Lester Kovacs from Dorman. Hi, Lester. Hi, Corm. How are you? I'm great. What have you been doing here? You just hanging out? Did you do any training? You got your booth to set up? We were involved with sponsoring Seth's training. Unfortunately, with the busy schedule, we weren't able to get anyone out. As you know, last week we were just at ATC right near corporate headquarters. where We had some great training there, mastering the technology with Ken Zanders, Pete Meyer, Gene Trulia. Yeah. Oscar was there so, too. Oscar also, yep. Yep. Doing the bilingual Spanish classes are getting more and more popular. You guys are doing some great things. What a big, important move to have Dorman training. And let's take a time out for Dorman training. Automotive technologies of today and tomorrow demand that professional technicians continuously maintain and grow their knowledge and skill sets. If one does not update, they will evaporate. Mastering the changing technologies, adapting new and more efficient testing techniques, and exploring new tooling and equipment applications are just a few challenges. Dorman Training is dedicated to providing the latest information and proven service and repair tips brought to you by some of the nation's best instructors in the company of some of the nation's best technicians. Dorman has been a leader in driving new product solutions for the automotive aftermarket for more than a century. With DormanTrainingCenter.com, we also deliver the technical training and insight service professionals need to further their careers and stay current. The automotive industry constantly evolves with technical advancements, making it crucial for technicians to stay updated with the latest trends and techniques. By undergoing comprehensive training, aspiring technicians will equip themselves with the necessary skills and knowledge to excel in their field. In addition to personal technical training throughout the United States, Dorman Training Center delivers online training modules covering a wide variety of topics with new resources rolling out regularly. Whatever your role or experience, you can find helpful information on DormanTrainingCenter.com. Dorman Technical Training covers many of today's advanced automotive systems, including hybrid EV, driver assistance, diagnostics, emission, and complex electronics. Created for working service professionals and taught by ASE certified instructors, classes are held as lunch and learns in the evenings and weekends at on-site locations as well as available on demand. Bring your knowledge to the next level at DormanTrainingLive.com. Yeah, so I was there. You guys honored me to do my keynote and cool, cool keynote from launch to touchdown, our UA NASA show. We had fun doing that. Look, AST this year, really big show and a lot going on, new venue. But one of the things when I met you years ago, someone introduced you as the ideation guy. <laughs> And I have ideation as one of my top five strengths in strengths finders. And so I'm like, oh my God, I can so relate to this. And so I got to know Lester and asking a million questions because the thing I love about what you do in the company is if you just get any kind of dormant emails or you pick up a new products magazine or flyer or handout, you look at the stuff and you say, wow, where the hell they come up with that? And so you have so much to do with that. Where are you getting, I mean, it's kind of like putting your ticklers, your feelers out everywhere with ambassadors. Uh, even one time, I think you guys said you would head out to some junkyards and 
see what people are coming in, taking off cars? No stone unturned is our mentality, focusing on that. And been very blessed, had some great mentors. I would say we have no sales focus. We support sales and we have no product development focus. So we don't even actually develop the products. Essentially, we work with technicians to uncover challenges they have for anything from part availability to how they install the part, how we can make it easier. And we've just been very successful working with technicians and just kind of digging in and understanding what their pain points are and how we can come up with a solution. The other one we talked about too, I think you were chuckling, was the whole dumpster diving. Couple of the, if we're at a shop for the first time, we typically ask if we can take a look around the shop. And almost always the shop owner is more than happy to help us. And then we'll also say, well, can we look back in your scrap pile? And at first they're kind of give us, look at this kind of funny. And you'd be surprised what you can find in the trash. Because a lot of times we'll go in there and we'll ask them, hey, what was the last challenge you had finding the part in the aftermarket or finding it available? And it's tough off the top of their head. So just kind of looking around the shop, going back to their dumpster. And it's pretty cool because it actually starts a whole conversation. Oh, yeah, I remember when I did that Chevy Cruze and nobody had all the accessories that I needed for the turbo or something like that. And it turns into a larger, more broader conversation. And then we can actually develop relationships with them. So in the future, when they have these things happen again, they're reaching out to us. You know, Lester, I'm curious of something. A couple of surveys I've recently read where it's supply chain issues. And we had them all terrible when those, you know, 100 ships were out in Los Angeles and they couldn't get them unloaded. That's done, but there's still a lot of complaints. What do you hear and do you know of any issues going on? There's definitely still issues with part availability. I would say overall with the whole issue with cargo and freight, I think we're pretty much through that. I think the challenges now, I feel like the OE still has some challenges on the older vehicles when they have what you call an end of run or a situation where they allot so much for replacement parts and they run out and it's challenging for them to then acquire parts again. What they do is they discontinue a little bit earlier. So they don't go back to their OES supplier that made that part for their aftermarket sales. Well, they do go back to them, but the challenge is sometimes it's not feasible because now the quantity is much different to support Ah, that vehicle later in the life cycle. I got it. Make me 10,000 of those, the price is X. Make me a thousand of those, the price is triple X. Bingo. So what's happening now more than ever on these, we see it on the forums, we see it from technicians is part availability. You'll see. So there's the one thing where parts are on back order, like the dreaded Ford TCM and some other parts where they're just just trying to keep up. But then the other side of it is they're discontinuing some parts, six, seven year old vehicles. So that's a huge challenge. It's an opportunity for us. But then from a supply chain perspective, it also... We have to readjust because before we're used to the OE getting a certain market share and we also have a certain market share, but now it blows that whole demand curve out because they discontinue that particular product. So you walk away from a shop after dumpster diving and you have this, you know, this greasy junky old part in your hand and you bring it back to dormant. What starts happening? Do you research? Do you bring a team together? I know I tour the plant. I love how you guys scan these items laserly and figure all that out until the day you say, yes, let's produce this. What's the rationale that goes into uh, wanting to decide to put a part into the catalog? When we're out in the field, we have a pretty good idea what to look for. So we're the eyes and the ears. So we're the first vetting process. When we find a part that's in the dumpster, we look at it in two ways. Is this a part that will extend a current offering? So for example, if we see something in that dumpster 
we'll ask what application it fits and we'll see if we have the coverage. So that's pretty basic, right? Okay, so sure. dormant, dormant already has window regulators, exhaust manifolds, intake. Is this another part to add? Still something very valuable because it gives us line of sight to something that's failing where it may not be on our list for development. Yeah. Because when you make a part, you don't necessarily make a part for the entire worlds of vehicles. You just make it for that specific vehicle type make model that it's going bad on. Most of the time when you find a new, what I'll call a category, it typically is well said. It's not going to be a full line to start. Okay, We're focusing it. on the ones. And you say, ooh, we've got this little mini line of 10 replacement products, but th this could be the 11th because we didn't know it was happening on that Correct. platform. Okay. Correct. So that's not as exciting, but it's still part of the job, meaning that we didn't find a new category, but we're adding application coverage. So that goes down a much different track. Typically, when that comes into the building, our product groups are broken down basically where a part fits on the vehicle. Very similar to how a parts professional will look up a part, engine, drivetrain, under car, that's how our teams are broken down. So then we'll then give it to that team. And that team then has a formal meeting with all the players. So you have like an engineer, someone from supply chain, and they'll talk about the strategy for us to develop that particular product. Are you the first line of offense? Correct. So you'd bring in that team that's managing that category and say, hey, look at this cool, greasy part. We may have something here. Exactly. So tell me about, we may have something here that's something you guys don't even make, you have no category for. Yep, that's what we live for. So essentially when we go into a shop and we see something, I can remember the first time I started seeing active grill shutters. It was a newer technology on vehicles, very common on Ford, essentially shutters in front of the vehicle that will open and close for fuel economy, performance, so on and so forth. And very similar, they have actuators on them like in HVAC control systems that open and close the shutters, they fail from debris. When I was in that dumpster in that particular shop and I saw that part. Wait a minute, stop. When I was in the dumpster? I'll, are you serious? I'll send you a picture. It was two <laughs> or three times. So in that particular one, I don't remember if I was physically all the way inside it or, or hanging in it, but I actually ha have been in one or two. Because most of the time they're relatively clean. It's just scrap parts. All right, right here. sure. So when I saw it at first, I'll be honest, quite frankly, I, I didn't know what it was. I'm sure. like looking at this thing. So I pulled out and the shop owner brings the tech over. He's like, oh yeah, that's like the second one we replaced. He was showing me how the actuator on it was not serviceable. It has an arm that opens and closes it. So immediately that's that. So we have a team when you get outside of the innovation team, or I'm sorry, outside of the teams that focus on where the part fits on the, the vehicle, we have a team that does all the new products, anything that's a wholly new category, new to dormant. So basically that's one we just, it's code red, priority one. So we bring it in, we look right, at it. Uh, code red, priority one. I yeah. love it. It's like a hospital. <laughs> no kidding. Well, there's fortunately nobody's injured or hurt. No, but, but, but thank you for sharing that. I mean, that shows intensity. It shows commitment. That is such a cool, thank you for these behind the scenes stories. Code yeah, red. Well, appreciate that. Yeah. Well, one of the things, I mean, it's a challenge because you're coming out with that many new products and also working against the clock because the, the OEMs obviously out there already selling the products. So that would be, and then at that point, we bring it into the team. So you let it go to that next team and are you done with it until the day you see that it actually became a part or are you attached to that along the way? So we're attached along the way. One of the big things we try to do with our products is what we call the OE fix. So that's something is not only was the part only available at the dealer, right. we got some insight from a technician, shop owner on how to improve the product. But even if we can improve it, we always want multiple smoking guns. So for example, even though I have that one active grill shutter, 
The engineers take a look at it. They're understanding how it fails. They're also ordering in the OEM part for comparison. We want more failed parts. We want to see, is there an opportunity to improve it? Is there a repeat failure? Is there a weak kind of a chink in the armor that we can upgrade? So we are, like you said, tied to it. And then the other part of the process, if you can remember when you were in Colmar, so we're tied to it to find more smoking guns. And then once we develop our own part based on the specifications that we have, then we also do a full material test, full dimensional test. And then last is the try on test. So when you're coming out with as many products as we do every month, every year, every day, we have to try it on the actual vehicle. And then depending on the complexity of the part, it could be something aesthetic, maybe an aesthetic piece of trim that gets used minimally. It might be a couple hours of testing, or it could be something like electric power steering rack, which takes a hundred vehicles and almost a year of testing. So we're involved in the process to get suitors to help us with the testing for those products as well, too. So in the case of the active grill shutter, did you then reach out to your network of ambassadors and say, guys, I just picked this thing up. Here's a picture of it. Seen this yet in the shop. You can't just take one or two shops word for it. You got to go out and find from the national real world, all the great customers that you have, there willing to give you feedback, maybe even on social media. How far out do you reach to get a conclusion that we can make thousands of these, not hundreds? We reach out pretty far. Over the years, we have kind of what I like to call a homegrown formula, kind of like the secret sauce, Yeah, where one indicator by itself isn't that impactful, but all of them put together. So you hit on one. Social media is a big one. There's also other websites and ways to look at failure rate. Our network is huge. We always try to expand our network through our customers and also working with associations and groups like ASTE to validate it. And over time, you develop the relationships And I want to say gut feel, but the gut feels more about particular people you align yourself with that say, oh yeah, my local dealer stocks that part and I've done three or four in the last month, or I work on a fleet of those applications. So that's like gold when you can figure out somebody like- I'm sorry, man. If I hear three or four a month, my dealer has it. To me, just do the math. So it's not hard to do the math and figure out that this is a viable product that you can put throughout your entire distribution channel. So I have a great question to ask you. Did you actually build and put this product in the catalog? The active grill shutter? Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. We have, I should know off the top of my head roughly, but it's definitely well over about two dozen different applications okay. now. How many you got to make to start to fill up the supply chain? It's a great question. I mean, when you look at the big retailers, big program groups on the traditional side, if you have something that's a, that's an A pop code, I mean, your pipeline fill and, and you get full customer buying. I mean, you're talking 20,000. Wow. Yeah. Just imagine the cost, the investment, the tooling up, the packaging, the printing. Whoa. I mean, I'm sorry. Every single skew has got to, I don't even want to know what the math is. And it's just stop, put your head together and think of, so you're in a shop, pick up a part, go to the counter, pick up a part. The supplier just came over, pick up the part and ask yourself how many part stores, how many shops, how many distribution centers? What's in the dormant warehouse? I mean, just stop and think of what the supply chain looks like or feels like. It's a huge commitment of money. It really is. That's why when we started the podcast, I said, I'm very blessed to be in ideation because we, from there, the other responsibility, I have all the respect, very honored and privileged to work with the folks on the product development team because they literally, from the minute I hand it over, we have a process that gets to have the part on the shelf, but all the testing, all the packaging, all the logistics, 
are all baked in there. So okay. here's I, a tough question. Anybody ever call you up and say, slow down? No. No? Cool. Because well, I look at you as the incubator guy, right? Let me see. We just got to keep putting the eggs in the incubator. And your job is to go out and find those chickens willing to lay them for you. Well, it, it, put that thing in your hand. Yeah. It's a good analogy. And quite frankly, they'll look at the incubator, you know, looking at kind of the A, the parts that are ready to be developed, and we'll make resource decisions based on that, Carm. So for example, if we see that there's too many, I use your analogy, eggs in the incubator. Yeah. I, I like that, by okay. the way. They'll, they'll see, okay, so where's the bottleneck? What can we do to address it? Is it engineering resources? Is it tools? Different things we need to do. And, and we've made a lot of changes over the years since I've been with Dorman. When you look at our quality team, the engineering team, I mean, 10 times what we were 10 years ago is, is just as far as resources, technology, experience, and then actual people themselves, contributors. How many don't make it? How many ideas that come by your desk don't make it? What's the percentage? A lot. Great question. Our average throughput, and that's after we do the validation too from our own, I would roughly say about 70% don't make it for a variety in that particular year. So we look at it from a running year. So okay. it's not that part won't get it in. It may not because you may be on the cutting edge of something going bad, but it's going to take another couple of years for it to cream up. Correct. Correct. We have a kind of a homemade database that tracks every idea and the product manager puts it in a certain hold position. That's the one that doesn't make it. So about 25, 26% wind up making it through. And from what we've researched, so that's actually pretty good. You want a tight funnel to make sure you're coming out with yeah. products that's going to meet the customer's expectations. You know, I find it fascinating when we talk to young people in our industry and try to explain to them, Lester, all the opportunities that they have, that Huge. they can do in our industry. Huge. Just because you started as a mechanic today doesn't mean that you couldn't be in charge of ideation at Dorman. What did you do when you were a kid? I mean, what courses did you like? What What did you play with? Were you into sports? You know, did you like sci-fi movies? What got you in this zone that you're so good at? Working on cars and always wanting to have a cool car when I was a kid. My all right, so what was your first cool car? My first cool car was a 1986 Mercury Capri 5-liter fuel injected, kind of the second year they started doing that. So essentially it was the Mustang, Mercury's version, definitely different, unique styling, looked pretty cool. It was like this charcoal metallic gray. Mm. I was working at a Ford dealership at the time. It had come in on a trade that had an issue with a synchronizer and the transmission, it was a manual and they gave it to me for a great deal. And I was able to get it fixed relatively inexpensive. So that was, I'd say that was my first cool car. My first actual car was a, I worked at a grocery store and Mark Jimino worked in our produce department, had a 77 Nova with the emission-laden 305, but hey, it had a V8, so I was excited about it. But as far as power, it probably has, not probably, has less power than a today's 2022 four-cylinder with the GDI and the turbo and all that. Yeah. Would you be doing anything different in your career and in your life than what you're doing now? I really love what I do. I really think I was talking to one of the techs last night, one of the mobile diagnostics techs, Corey's a great guy. And I believe things happen for a reason. So I look at the opportunities I've had working at a local warehouse distributor in my mid-20s and then coming across the opportunity at Dorman. So when you entered Dorman, what was your job, first job? So I was hired in 2004 as what they called the New Idea Database Administrator. No, from day one. Day one, it was focusing on organizing essentially ah. organizing all the ideas and sending it out to the groups and developing a system where they could track the ideas. So you're really kind of a systems guy too. Not only are you out there looking and ferreting for stuff, but 
like you could be a CPA if not this. I'm not sure of a CPA, <laughs> but I definitely appreciate it. I've always been, it's weird you talk to people, I would say mechanically inclined and then also had an aptitude and a passion for electronics as well as vehicles. So I think it blended well together. When I went to school, I received a, dean, a degree in business and I had a minor in MIS. So I always uh-huh. was interested. So was that back in the, what, late 80s that you went to school? No, it was, I graduated from college in 1995. In 95? Yep. Well, it's to have a, a minor in an MIS, management information systems, yep. right? So that everybody has reduced too many acronyms, you know, on my <laughs> yeah, show. Right? Every yeah, once in a while, I stop. That was a perfect time to be into IT. Back then, it was a big deal. I don't see that degree as as popular as it used to be. I mean, they call it something different now. They probably do. I mean, I think we do more with IT on our phones than they were teaching back in 95. It's amazing. You know how to run an app, you can write one probably. It's amazing. What's new at Dorman? Anything you could tell us that's coming out next month that we could know about? Absolutely. I'm really excited about, I don't know about next month. My memory's not quite that good, but just kind of hot off the presses. For any of the folks out there in those areas where rust is a huge issue, we're expanding our rust repair line. For example, on large trucks where part of the frame has the structure that mounts the shocks or mounts the coil springs, we're giving weld-on and bolt-on repairs where we can to fix the vehicle to make it safe to drive again. A lot of these vehicles have a great power plant still, but the underneath is starting to rust out where the suspension mounts, and we're giving them a way to repair that much more cost effectively. I'd say we're up to almost about 40 different SKUs for popular trucks where rust is an issue and people are quite frankly driving unsafe vehicles out there where they wind up junking them because there's no cost-effective way to fix them. You say repair, don't you really mean replace? Correct. When I say repair, I guess because the mindset, the reason why I say repair, but you you could kind of use either or, is that I feel like it's part of the actual frame, so you're welding yeah, but, it on. But, but a piece you're right. of structure that would... You're actually replacing that structure yeah. that is rotted out, correct? That's right. And, but I get it. It's part of the repair, and it is a tool to allow you to possibly get some more miles on that vehicle that they would yep. have typically gone and said, uh, you got to junk it because mm-hmm. it's toast. I guess it's the frame that this part would bolt or weld to... Correct. ...is okay. Then we can actually get a repair done. Correct. Yeah, wow. We do a lot of research and 95% of the time, the replacement, as you say, is a large enough area that will then be mounted to or welded to an area that still yeah. has the, the structural integrity to be able to attach something to it. Did you ever take a, and you may not know the answer to this, but here's my curious mind, come up with a brand new line, you build 20,000 of them, you send them out through, you catalog it, you put it into the latest news magazines, you promote it, and it's kind of dying on the vine. What do you guys then ultimately do about that? It's not like you didn't have enough facts and figures to know that these parts are necessary. I mean, you get on social media and say, hey, we got this stuff. How do you push? That's one of the great questions. I almost feel like you were uh, talking with our leadership team before this podcast. It's a challenge for us, right, Corm? Because we have to change habits. Whoever it is at that person at the shop, whether it's the service writer, a smaller shop, the owner technician that's ordering the parts, there's a habit to think of certain parts as only being OE dealer. One of the examples I'll give you are direct fit transmission coolers. We came out with that line, gosh, it's got to be 10 years ago. We made the investment. We got it out to the customer, didn't sell, was flat on its face. What we learned is that our customers in the aftermarket thought that the only solution out there was a universal fit, much more challenging to install, not much less of a price. You have to cobble things together. So we went to marketing and said, 
hey, guys, gals, what are we going to do here? What's the issue? So we put our heads together and we kind of approached it from all angles. What are the different things we can do? So we relaunched the actual line and the campaign. We work directly and close with customers. We work with the counter professionals. And within six months, it was almost exactly where we needed it to be. And we just, we were ready to pull the plug. A year and a half, you know, gets to a point where, so the things out, the parts out, the customer were a big problem, but then we had a bunch of inventory that wasn't moving because of reorders. So we were ready to scrap inventory. We were basically ready to scrap inventories. We thought we missed the mark when really, to your point, it was just getting out there and changing the habit on that particular category. Wow. Force will edit all this out. Great behind the scenes information. So I have an idea for you. On the website, you need to have a tab said, why aren't you buying these products? That's <laughs> it. Click on this. Oh my God, I didn't even know you guys had that. Oh, you're right. There's a testimonial from someone or there's a picture of a repair. Picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah. Why aren't you buying these products? Yeah. What? Just a quick plug. It'll be fast is when I go out and visit shops or visit counter professionals, the one thing I try to get them all to do is to sign up for our monthly newsletters. Yeah. We come out with 300 and some odd parts every month. There's only a small section of them that are going to be new because customers are used to our portfolio of what we have, but there's these dozen or so parts that are unique. Well, we just take those parts, put them on a flyer once a month, no spam, and we send it out to you and we tell the whole story and what the part is. So for example, if it's a new rust repair part, or you asked earlier other parts we came out with, we just came out with the fix for the F1, late model F-150 panoramic moonroof. There's some guides that wind up failing. So you're not going to remember the part numbers, Carm, but to your point of your idea, which I love, if they get in there, it's almost like if we could combine your idea with what's already on the site to attract them to open this up. Because in that month, they'll see yeah. the new items that we come out with. And those people that are the professionals that are used to ordering the parts, they're going to remember, hey, I saw Dorman had that part. And they're going to call their suppliers yeah. up. Create a cool little logo with a question mark or, you know, someone with a eyebrows frown down and say, you know, why aren't you buying these parts? Is it yeah, let me go find out. What are they talking about? What don't I know? Yeah. But don't say, did you know we make this? Because I'm not sure that's a draw. I think you ask the, you ask a question is, you know, why aren't you buying this product? It's gotcha. Just, God, I love to buy stuff. So what should I keep? What should I buy? And yeah. then the stories get told. Tell your friends. <laughs> yeah. I get that monthly newsletter. And I tell you, it's so full of stuff. And that's why I continue to be amazed at how many products you have, how often you come up with all these new products. And it's Lester Kovacs, who has a lot of responsibility for helping all those new products get into, into the catalog. Boy, so you love to go to work every day. Absolutely. Man, I bet you there's a bunch of people that love your job. <laughs> and Don't tell too many people. No, I won't. Oh, God. All right. No, it's to turn off, the, uh, turn off the podcast here. You know, you, no one wants Lester's job. So ambassadors, who works with the ambassadors? The marketing department? You have people that you've classified as ambassadors that help you, that you can call on, that you bring into Colmar, Pennsylvania. How does the ambassador program work? Essentially, the whole ambassador program, it started out as an advisory council. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of morphed into a different naming, but kind of the responsibility was always the same. We just rebranded our advisory council. And then sure. we also started a private Facebook group to support it because they're, they're pretty popular. How it basically works is if we rewind to earlier in the conversation about the dumpster diving and visiting shops and gut feels, there's a lot of great folks in this industry that want to really support the industry. Yeah. 
And when we meet that person, say one out of 20, one out of 30, we make a connection and we tell them about our advisory council that helps us with new ideas, trials for test fitment, networking with other peers. And you can automatically tell when somebody, when you pitch it to them, that they're excited about it and they come on board. And most of them, it, it, it's not like an incentive thing. It's a help the industry type situation. So with that, I would say the main responsibilities or the main things we're looking for is to help support with new product development. But at the same time, just as important to us, we want them to be happy and know that they have an outlet if they want to give us feedback on existing products or even things like part availability. We can work with them. There's sometimes some suppliers are trying to keep up with the amount of new products we're coming out with. They might not have the parts skewed yet. So we'll help out an ambassador and work with their suppliers and make sure they have the right part. So one final crazy off-the-wall question. Yesterday, we did a great episode on Toastmasters. And one of the questions as we were having fun with table topics was your favorite movie. What is it? My favorite movie. That's a tough one. Are you a movie guy? I am. Lately, I've morphed into the uh, binge watching on Netflix more. I would have to say one of my all-time favorites is Usual Suspects. No kidding. I've seen that only once. I'm going to have to go and watch it for Lester. Oh, cool. Lester Kovacs from Dorman. New ideas, ideation. Your official title is? The official title is Director of Ideation. The Director of Ideation. Right. That's just too sexy, man. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Carm. Had a lot of fun. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 